Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. We're on the coast, where most of the ships usually set sail from Numenor. And I want you to imagine what it would be like in this situation during these dire times to be Elendil, Amandil's son, the person that he has confided the most in about what he's about to do. And Elendil here is watching Amandil's ship set sail from the port for the last time with a plan to do what Arendil did millennia before to seek the Valar to ask for their help and their forgiveness and he sets out on a small ship with three companions, and although Elendil doesn't know it now, Amandil and his companions will never be heard from again. Now, what happens to them, we don't know. There is no account, there is no tale, there is not even a guess of what happens to their fate. It says in the text that he took with him three servants dear to his heart and never again were they heard of by word or sign in this world. Nor is there any tale or guess of their fate. It was time for Elendil to act because things were about to get even worse.
It's interesting to me that we have absolutely no hint about what happens to Amundil after he leaves. And I have some theories here. I think that there is a chance that he actually makes it to Valinor, but that we never find out. And he's not given a place of high esteem like Arendil was, but maybe he survived for a time and was treated fairly. Maybe instead he lost his ship in the sea. I mean, it could happen, but he was, he was a good captain. So that's less likely. There's another possibility that somehow our Farazan and his people found out what was actually going on and stopped him after he left and then never reported it to anyone. But I don't think that's as likely either. I think he probably makes it to Valinor. And that's part of what's about to happen next. And I'll explain it as we go. But first, we have to finish with what Elendil was doing. Because he follows through with what his father had asked him to do. He fills the ships that are left with the faithful, with their families, and a number of, of things. like Their stuff. Beautiful things. Things of power. It says here, many things there were of beauty and power, such as the Numenorians had contrived in the days of their wisdom, vessels and jewels and scrolls of lore written in scarlet and black. Scarlet and black is interesting. It's not just written in black ink. We have deep red ink as well, almost like this is the blood of the people recording their history. I'm not sure exactly what that means and why that detail was added in. So if you have any thoughts on that, that's about as close as I can come to figuring that out. And then we're told that they bring with them seven stones that were gifts of the Eldar. And we're not told the name of these stones, but it seems pretty clear that these are the Palantiri, the seeing stones that were mentioned much earlier in the Silmarillion that come into play in the Third Age during the Lord of the Rings. And on Isildur's ship, there's a young tree. The tree that grew from Nimloth the Fair. Remember Isildur went and stole the fruit of the tree. Well, they were able to plant a new one. This will become the tree that we see in Minas Tirith. Yet another symbolic tree in the whole span of symbolic and powerful trees dating all the way back to the creation of Valinor. And we're told that Elendil and Isildur and the rest of the faithful wait for a time for a symbol because they were concerned. They didn't know what would happen with Amundil and they get no signal. It says here that he journeyed in secret to the western shores and gazed out over the sea for sorrow and yearning were upon him and he greatly loved his father. But not could he descry save the fleets of Arpharazon gathering in the havens of the west. Arpharazon's war party of ships keeps getting bigger. And after a period of time, they decide to leave, they being the faithful. We aren't given a specific amount of time, but I think they probably waited a number of years. We have 
so much information compacted into this. The stealing of the fruit of the tree, it growing into a small plant, a small actual tree, and then the leaving of Amundil, and then eventually the leaving of the faithful. But I think this takes maybe a decade or two of time, actually, although we aren't given specifics here. And in all of that time, our Farazhan is amassing armies, and Sauron's power is growing and growing. And then we get a response by the Valar. Quote, Now aforetime in the Isle of Numenor, the weather was ever apt to the needs and the liking of men, rain in due season and ever in measure, and sunshine, now warmer, now cooler, and winds from the sea. Sound is like an idyllic place with just the right amount of rain, just the right amount of sun and wind. And when the wind was in the west, it seemed to many that it was filled with a fragrance, fleeting but sweet, heart-stirring, as of flowers that bloom forever in undying meads and have no names on mortal shores. They get this whiff of the Holy Land blowing into their island. But things begin to change. It says, but all this was now changed, for the sky itself was darkened, and there were storms of rain and hail in those days, and violent winds. And ever and anon, a great ship of the Numenorians would founder and return not to haven, though such a grief had not till then befallen them since the rising of the star. And out of the west, there would come at times a great cloud in the evening, shaped as it were an eagle, with pinions spread to the north and the south. And slowly it would loom up, blotting out the sunset, and then uttermost night would fall upon Numenor. And some of the eagles bore lightning beneath their wings, and thunder echoed between sea and cloud. This is clearly Manway's doing. Now, does this happen at this point in the story because he is clued in by Amundil to what is actually happening here? Or are they finally starting to respond to the corruption that Sauron has created here? And I think it may be connected to the first. I also think that somehow they know that the faithful have left. The only people left here in Numenor are those that have turned their backs on the Valar. Those who are remaining have had plenty of time to change their ways. And this is finally it. Then men grew afraid, it says. Behold the eagles of the lords of the west, they cried. The eagles of Manway are come upon Numenor. Now notice these eagles are just clouds in the shapes of eagles, but they represent the actual eagles of Manway and his power. And some of them fell on their faces. They began repenting, but most of them hardened their hearts and they shook their fists at heaven saying, quote, the Lords of the West have plotted against us. They strike first. The next blow shall be ours. These words, the King himself spoke our Pharazon, but they were devised by Sauron. And if you remember my connecting our Pharazon to the word Pharaoh 
and this hardening of hearts, that's actual language from the Bible about what happens to the Pharaoh when Moses is trying to free his people. And he brings down, well, through God, the different plagues. And this is kind of got that same tone to it. These people are too proud. They will not listen. And so they will be punished by the gods, in this case, the Valar. And then lightning increases and it starts hitting people. And in a really epic moment, the temple catches fire. It says here, a fiery bolt smote the dome of the temple and shore it asunder. Remember, this is a temple to Morgoth. And it was wreathed in flame, but the temple itself was unshaken. And Sauron stood there upon the pinnacle and defied the lightning and was unharmed. And in that hour, men called him a god and did all that he would do. He stood in direct defiance of the Valar at the top of this temple, and none of the lightning bolts hit him. Was that intentional? Was the lightning just random? I'm not sure that we know. And then it goes on and says, When therefore the last portent came, they heeded it little, for the land shook under them, and a groaning as of thunder underground was mingled with the roaring of the sea, and smoke issued from the peak of Metaltarma. But all the more did Arpharazon press on with his armament. And we get another glimpse at this. Well, it's described now as an archipelago of a thousand isles. This armada of ships, a thousand ships, their masts like a forest upon the mountains and their sails like a brooding cloud, all ready to go to war. Their banners are golden and black. They've taken those colors, gold which I think represents their greed and their pride and black Morgoth's color. And everybody's waiting for our to give them the word to send them out to sea. And while this is happening, Sauron is up in the temple and we're told that he has brought more victims to be burned. They are sacrificing more people to Morgoth. And then we get this moment. Then the eagles of the lords of the west came up out of the dayfall, and I think this means the actual eagles themselves, and they were arrayed as for battle, advancing in a line, the end of which diminished beyond sight. So many eagles across the sky that you can't see where the number of them end. And as they came, their wings spread ever wider, grasping the sky. But the west burned red behind them, and they glowed beneath, as though they were lit with a flame of great anger, so that all Numenor was illuminated as with a smoldering fire. Can you imagine this? The west is angry, visually angry, and these Eagles, I'm sure, are terrifying. And men looked upon the faces of their fellows, and it seemed to them that they were red with wrath. A different red. And maybe that's the reflecting of the light, or maybe it's coming from their own hatred. Maybe it's both. And then, and we get this word again, this phrase, our Pharazon hardened his heart, and he went aboard his mighty ship, Alcarandes. 
Castle of the Sea. This giant ship had many oars and many masts, and we're not given specific numbers. It was golden, and it had a throne for him on the ship. And it's at this moment that he raises the standard, and he gives the signal, and all of the ships raise anchor. And it says, in that hour, the trumpets of Numenor outrang the thunder. That's how many there were. And just as these ships set out, we're told this. Thus, the fleets of the Numenorians moved against the menace of the West. <laughs> the menace of the West. And there was little wind, but they had many oars and many strong slaves to row beneath the lash. Then the sun went down, and there came a great silence. And we're told that darkness falls, and these ships head into the west with no aid from the wind, which again is another Manway thing. And by morning, all the ships are past the horizon, and they are making their way to assault Valinor. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and thank you to our newest patron, Cutter Metalworks. I am recording this episode a bit earlier this week, so uh, normally I would have more time go by by the time you all have the opportunity to sign up or to leave reviews and those kinds of things. But we've got another hurricane coming through Florida. I wanted to make sure that you got an episode this week, so doing this one a little bit early. But by all means, if you are interested in joining us and somebody like Cutter Metalworks, which might be a business, which is a great way to advertise your business, I guess. Uh, then head over to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast. Check out all the different tiers, get ad-free episodes or or t-shirts or whatever else. There's a bunch of good stuff. And also we have to shout out all of our VIP patrons. Here we go. Uh, AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Austin C, Azzle Razzle, Bo, Blad Squ Black Squirrel, I almost said Blad Squirrel, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, welcome, uh, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Alaf, Gemma D, Jesse P, Jordan Rhymes, Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Michael E, 
Nick K, Obi Wan Kenobi, Rivqua, Sam B, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tor, Son of Whore, uh, Tyler M, Wes P, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you so much to all of you. And you guys are the best. Um, in today's bonus episode, I will be digging a little bit more into the character of Sauron. At least that's the plan right now. We'll see where it goes when I get there because sometimes plans change. But uh, I hope you are enjoying the extra bonus episodes that everybody who signs up as a middle tier or higher tier patron gets to experience. And if you're looking for more content, if you made yourself made your way all the way through everything that I've done so far on the regular show, it's a great way to get lots of other stuff to listen to and some really cool insights from our community and comments from them on some of those episodes as well. So lots of cool stuff to check out. Also, if you'd like to help out the show by leaving a review on Apple podcasts, that's a great way to do it as well. Um, again, I'm recording this so early that I don't have an update on the uh, reviews from last week, but there's no stopping you. If you want to help us out that way, it's a great way to do it. Plus, you know, telling your friends and all of that. All right. Thank you for being here. Let's move on with the rest of the show. So do you remember the moment when Tour enters Valinor? He lands on the shores. There's nobody there. He makes his way into the city. There's no response. We have another similar situation here. The fleets make their way, encompassing Avalon and the Isle of Aresia. And at that point, of course, the elves notice them and they all start mourning for what they see is about to happen. But the ships pass on, headed to Amman, the land, the blessed realm of Valinor. And then they hit the coasts of Valinor. And we get this moment where we're told that all was silent. It's as if the entire host, thousands and thousands of soldiers, all realize right now, what's about to happen. And it says doom hung by a thread. And again, we have to remember Tolkien's use of the word doom, meaning more like fate. And it says here that our fair is on wavered at the end. And he almost turned back. His heart misgave him when he looked upon these soundless shores and saw Teniquitel, shining, whiter than snow, colder than death, silent, immutable, terrible as the shadow of the light of Iluvatar. This is a scene of power. He's seeing something he's never seen before and is in awe of it. Remember, he's been poisoned with the idea that the Valar are against them and that their beauty is all just a show. It doesn't actually match their holiness and their goodness. But here he's presented with it directly. And we get this moment where he almost turns back. And then we're told, but pride was now his master. Sauron's hooks are so deep in him at this point that he can't turn back. It's a similar moment to, for example, the ring bearers not being able to toss the ring into the fire. 
Sauron has this innate ability to take the pride of men and to take their, what they want to do and to shut that down and to grow their pride and their greed and all of these other qualities that he can utilize against them. And he's doing it here now without a ring because he's been poisoning our Farazan's mind for so long. And then we get the moment similar to Tour. He leaves the ship. He strides up on the shore, claiming the land for his own if none should do battle for it because they are not met with an army face to face. They're met with an empty city. And it says a host of the Numenorians encamped in might about Tuna, the hill of the city. And all of the elves that live here have fled. There are no elves. There are no Valar. And then we are told this. Then Manwe, upon the mountain, called upon Iluvatar. And for that time, the Valar laid down their government of Arda. Manwe and the Valar step back. And they basically say, Father, Iluvatar, you are in charge. Do what you will. And what happens next is not because of the will of the Valar. It is the will directly of Iluvatar on what happens to his children, these Numenorians, and the world. But Iluvatar showed forth his power and he changed the fashion of the world. The fashion of the world means the very makeup of the way Arda works. And a great chasm opened in the sea between Numenor and the Deathless Lands, the realms of Valinor. And the waters flowed down into it, and the noise and smoke of the cataracts went up to heaven, and the world was shaken. He cuts open the world and cleaves a rift between the realms of Valinor and the rest of Middle-earth. So what happens to the ships? Well, this is what it says. And all the fleets of the Numenorians were drawn down into the abyss, and they were drowned and swallowed up forever. But our Pharazon, the king, and the mortal warriors that had set foot upon the land of Amman were buried under falling hills. There it is said that they lie imprisoned in the caves of the forgotten until the last battle and the day of doom. This means that they are not given death. They got what they wanted and they are now entombed living due to the will of Iluvatar until the end times. And there's a bonus episode where I talk about what Tolkien was planning to do with the end times that never got published with the Silmarillion. And it's not officially canon, but it's a really fun concept. If you think about the, like those edge cases of things that he had written out, but never really fully committed to. The end times include Morgoth returning and fighting with Turin to Rumbar, who kills him at last. And these Numenorians these unfaithful see for themselves the terror of who Morgoth is in the end times and the good forces that rise up against him in like a sort of Ragnarok kind of ending to the world. And so this is the end of our Farazan and the soldiers that made their way 
into Valinor. But what about the land? What happens to the land? We've got Amman and some other islands. There's this whole section of this undying land over here in the west. Well, it says, but the land of Amman and Aresia of the elder were taken away and removed beyond the reach of men forever. But what does that mean? It means they actually were removed from the world itself. They now exist in a, uh, like a heaven like state that is separated physically from the rest of the, what becomes a planet here. It goes on and says, and Andor, the land of gift, Numenor of the Kings, Elena of the star of Arendil was utterly destroyed. This is what happens to Numenor. It is again, another landmass that is sunk beneath the waves due to the evil that needed to be extinguished. For it was nigh to the east of the great rift, and its foundations were overturned, and it fell and went down into darkness, which seems kind of fitting in that it had become dark, the people had become dark, and now they were physically drowned in the darkness and is no more. And there is not now upon earth any place abiding where the memory of a time without evil is preserved. For Iluvatar cast back the great seas west of Middle-earth and the empty lands east of it, and new lands and new seas were made, and the world was diminished. For Valinor and Aresia were taken from it into the realm of of hidden things. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.